Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 16 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week, our episode is releasing on the 41st anniversary of one of my all-time favorite horror films, so we just had to watch it. Alien from 1979. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. Well, we didn't technically make this one, but it is a drink that we created to be a dark and sinister twist on a classic cocktail. We still didn't make it. We know. We still didn't create it. It'll become clear when the drink comes out. We Ooh. narratively created it to be a d- dark twist on an old classic. <laughs> and by we, I mean Mad Lab Distilling. This episode will contain discussion on sexual assault. So if that's something that you need to not hear today, we do not mind at all. Feel free to skip this episode. So this is the second time we're drinking a pre-mixed cocktail from Mad Labs. Yeah. And they go all out. It's like a real cocktail in a bottle. And I'm I mean, excited. I would hope so. I'm, I would hope that it's not a fake cocktail. You know what I mean, though? It's not just a vodka soda. There's a, a lot of love that goes into their drinks. Mm, so shit, not our other sponsors. Hey, <laughs> maybe a little. Just kidding. We love you too, muddlers. <laughs> oh. Hello. This is a Kelly drink for sure. Hello. So I need your thoughts. What is? What is it? I need help deciphering these flavors in my mouth. This is a blue Negroni. It is brand new. They've just released it. Scott, our loving friend, owner of Mad Labs, when he gave us his sponsor box, He gave us two unlabeled bottles that had silver Sharpie written on them. And this one is... Which, like, our parents told us not to trust someone who does that, but... So true. We did it anyways. Sorry, mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this has... It's 30% alcohol. It's a ready-made Negroni with a blue twist. What is the blue? I need to know. Knowing it's Mad Labs, what would you guess? Vodka? No. It's blue. Uh, Kombucha? Oh, blueberry kombucha cordial is uh, in place of the vermouth in this traditional Negroni. So what you're telling me is that I could make this with their other products as well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is very much a Kelly drink. I think it's been a while since I've had a. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've had a proper Negroni because we've been in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) That has to stay in. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unfortunately. So it is very good and I really like it. My mouth is just like trying to reconcile what a real Negroni tastes like at this point because I can't like parse out the blueberry. Mm. It's very tasty, but I'm like, what is what is a normal Negroni supposed to taste like compared to this? And I'm drawing a blank right now. (laughs) I'm pretty sure because I've been making improper Negronis for the last like several months. Oh, boy. Not to mention, I should have said earlier, this is a very special episode as we are already two drinks in? Oh, yeah. This is a late night episode. Yes. Sharon Kelly nights. <laughs> um, I think we've had one late night episode from one of our bonus episodes, but this is our first on our main feed. So good luck, audience. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is good. It is a Kelly drink for sure. It's very strong, but it is easy sipping. And the best part about it was definitely that I didn't have to actually put any effort into making it. <laughs> 
For a bottled cocktail, I mean, even if it wasn't just a bottled cocktail, it would be amazing. But the fact that it's already ready made is really great. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bummed because you liked the, uh, what was it, s'more old fashioned? I love the s'more one. Yeah. And I was hoping you wouldn't like this one so that I could drink the rest of the bottle by myself. And oh. uh, I'll have, I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> Fine. What Fine. else? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> So this week we watched Alien from 1979. It premiered on May 25th of that year. It's directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon. This film stars Sigourney Weaver as badass Ellen Ripley, Tom Skerritt as Captain Dallas, John Hurt as Kane, and Ian Holm as secret robot android Ash. Technically, it's a replicant. Thank you for educating I me. I think. Uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm worried because I've, I've gone with the knowledge that Blade Runner and Alien exist in the same universe for so long, but now I'm worried because I'm being recorded that I'm entirely wrong. So, mm. so <laughs> hopefully you have information later on that saves me from this hell that I've created myself. <gasps> we'll see. Ba-ba-bong. This synopsis I have stolen from IMDb's user Sumitra. And of course, I've added my ending explanation, if you will. Recently, we found out we've had a few listeners reach out to us that say we don't watch horror movies, but we love your podcast. So I'm so glad. Hello, non-horror people that are listening to us. I hope that you're getting enough information about the film that uh, you know what we're talking about. (laughs) And to all those people that don't watch horror movies because they're too scared. Um, boo. Gotcha. (laughs) In the distant future, during her return to Earth, the commercial spaceship Nostromo intercepts a distress call from a distant moon. The seven-member crew are awakened from hypersleep, and the spaceship subsequently descends onto the moon. While exploring said moon, a three-member team of the crew discover a derelict spaceship and a huge chamber inside her containing thousands of eggs. When a curious team member goes near an egg, the parasite inside attacks him, rendering him unconscious. He's brought back aboard and the spaceship takes off, much to Ripley's aggravation about being forced to break quarantine. Where have we heard that before? I mean, the fact that that gif has gone crazy viral right now (laughs) about like, if we break quarantine, we'll all die. I'm like, yeah. So that's here. (laughs) After a little while, the parasite, which has acidic blood, dies on its own and his host wakes up seemingly unruffled. Here's my addition. Everything soon returns to normal, but not for long. When the incubated alien emerges from the crew member's chest, the crew organize themselves to hunt down and kill the alien, armed with flamethrowers, nets, and a motion detector. Unfortunately, the team gets picked off one by one as the alien, a.k.a. the xenomorph, has grown exponentially in size to an all-powerful, larger-than-six-foot creature armed with multiple mouths, acidic blood, and super strength. Eventually, also stealth. I should have said stealth. Eventually, Ripley is the lone survivor. The crew was betrayed by their own science officer, Ash, hired by the company to bring back the alien life form to Earth. Crew dispensable. Armed with the ship's cat Jonesy, Ripley sets the Nostromo self-destruct and escapes in the escape pod. As the Nostromo blows up behind her, Ripley realizes the alien is actually on board the escape pod as well. She manages to blast the alien out of the escape pod and into space, entering cryosleep once more with Jonesy on her side. 
on their way back to Earth. I appreciate that you mentioned that the alien is specifically a xenomorph, but didn't mention that the company is Whalen Utonity. I mean, that comes out later. Yeah, but the alien isn't called Xenomorph and Alien. It's just uh, a uh, alien. Ah, it's my the, knowledge has seeped in. A it's bit. the perfect predator. I find it so beautiful and simple. <laughs> Not to toot my own horn, but I think that was my best synopsis that I have ever given. It so was far. quite good. Yes, I was very into it. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I'm already a bit intoxicated. Wait, did you write drunk? No. Okay, but I performed drunk. Wait, you're supposed to write drunk and edit sober. I think. Yes. Perform drunk, I did the edit opposite. sober. I gotta edit this tonight, so I'm gonna be editing drunk as well. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. <laughs> Hit me with that trailer audio. Well, that's going to be a really annoying trailer for you all to listen to. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do, but that, <laughs> that trailer is fucking awesome. It was really good. Even by today's standards, like if a movie just showed up with that and like the the quality of the video was better and stuff like that, I would watch the fuck out of that movie. It was very like slow burn, exponential or not exp but it's like uh, expositional. It's like cut away from like Ripley running through the hallway to like all these different things happen while she's running. It's yeah. like, what's she running from? Why are all these people acting so weird? The alien. What is this egg? But it never even know. shows the alien. It's yeah. so good. Oh my God. Yeah. Which I didn't include it in the scaredy facts, but it's funny you say that because the alien itself was so secret that it wasn't in any promotional material. It was stills of the alien, the xenomorph, weren't even given to the novelist writers who were doing Ooh. the like, this is the, what's that called when they, they make the movie into a book? The novelization. No, yeah, the novelization. Uh, yeah, they didn't even get to see photos of it because it was so top secret. I mean, that would make sense why all of the iconography for Alien then is the it's egg. just the egg, yeah. yeah. And even the egg isn't right. It's not the right egg. It's just a fucking ostrich egg that cracks in the middle rather than opening on the top. Yeah, but in the the actual egg itself is... In the on the trailer on the or on the cover? Yeah, the cover is right. I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe We're not. Have to look at that. Let's take let's take a look now. Sorry, all of you audio medium listeners. Oh yeah, it's not. It's totally not. Yeah, it's just a fucking egg. At least the cut in the poster is better though. Like it's oozing and like it's jagged. The yeah. cut of the egg in the trailer was literally like oh a cracked shell. It looked like the trailer <laughs> for the stuff. The, the stuff container opening up with the uh, the stuff coming out of it kind oh, of yeah. reminded me of the alien trailer. I could see that. Which one ripped which one off, I wonder. <gasps> but yeah, that trailer was incredible. And then it obviously it ends with the, the iconic uh, tagline, in space no one can hear you scream. Which was written by a woman. Every good horror thing is written by a woman. People don't realize that. <laughs> Yay! Which is funny because, yeah, the stuff was came out in the 80s, which is after this, and yet was like the most sexist thing ever. And Alien is... They do... There's some stuff in my scaredy facts. I'm really into the scaredy facts this time. I could not edit myself. There yeah. are a lot. So I'm going to go through my points relatively <laughs> quickly. <laughs> but you look like you have something to say. Uh, No, I was just going to talk about... the sexism. About, uh... You have something. Say it. Uh, Tell no, me. I saw a post recently. I think it was for Trans Awareness Day, and it was like most of the things that you... Most of the like horror and things that you like were made by a trans woman. Nice. Like we, we realized for The Shining that the composer is a trans woman. It's like every fucking thing that you like was made by a woman. Hell yeah. 
So I'm going to dive right into my thoughts. I'm going to try and be relatively quick because I have so many scaredy facts. I could not the list. I went on multiple sources, but IMDb alone is massive. So if you have a thirst for knowledge of alien, just go to IMDb. We're going to run into another shining situation where we can't really add much to the conversation. <laughs> it's It's been done. Everyone knows how great this movie is. Um, but yeah, I my favorite part or one of my favorite parts. I love this entire movie, but my favorite is the long setup that this film has. Mm. I called it out as we were watching it again. This is the type of film that we've seen so many times. I don't feel bad. Uh, making my comments as we watch it. They aren't afraid to take their time with the world building here, which really sucks you into the story right away. A lot of movies that come out nowadays have this like, we have to jump scare at least twice in the first like 10 minutes to really hook our audience in. But I think I like this formula better. The fact that you get so sucked in when the jump scares do happen and they do, it's the payoff is better, I think. Yeah, because you're almost put into like a human situation. Like you feel comfortable with these humans and then something is thrown into the mix. Comfortable with humans? Who do you think I am? Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, you got a cat, too. You're comfortable with the cat as well. Yes, Jonesy. Hell yeah. I brought this up when you mentioned it while we were watching Alien, but I think that's the reason why I keep going to the ritual as my like current favorite horror movie, because it takes so fucking long for anything scary to happen. It's just a bunch of like middle aged guys going to Norway to hike. And it's like I, I would have to watch the movie again, but I'm pretty sure like a half hour in they finally do something scary. And, and I'm like, what do you mean? The opening is someone getting shot when a door robbery. Yeah, happens. that happens every day. <laughs> but that's not but the yes, crux of the horror. You're, right. you're yeah. totally right. Because in the first moment of this, we get a jump scare of like computers turning on and people being woken up too early. Why were they waking up too early? Whoa. But it's not the crux of the horror, which is the alien. Yeah. And I also just wanted to mention that I think I've seen this movie probably 10 times at least. Wow. And the vent jump scare when <laughs> yeah. Dallas is in there always gets me. I always forget it's coming. Which is there isn't there's no jump scares in the movie. Like anytime that the alien shows up, it's like slowly slinking into frame. And you know that it's there. Like the lead up to this jump scare, because it is like one of the only jump scares in the film. You know it's there already. They're telling you, oh, it's right on top of you. How do you not see it? Yeah. (laughs) And then boo. Uh my next point is that Ellen Ripley has been one of my all-time heroes. For basically as long as I can remember. She's super tough. She's smart. She's a badass survivor. She takes care of Jonesy. Even when the fucking xenomorph is coming down on her, planning to murder her. Everyone else is dead. She's all alone. She's the only one that manages to kill the alien all by herself. Amazing. I could gush about her forever. She does kind of drop the cat a lot. Yeah, she leaves she, she leaves Jonesy behind to get eaten by the xenomorph. But then she goes back to get him. That's fair. And she's also like survival aside, the earlier part when things aren't going to shit, she's so strong. She's so opinionated and not afraid to voice her opinions. She's like third in command and she holds that status really well. Mm-hmm. I love women who aren't afraid of their status and she really has it here. And like when we quoted it already, but when the three men crew come back from investigating the moon and we see that the face hugger is already attached himself to one of the crew members, she's like, we can't break quarantine or we'll all die. And then it's fucking Bilbo that lets them in. Did you just realize that? 
<gasps> How did you just realize that? <laughs> He's so old in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, because this movie came out in 79 and oh Lord of the Rings God! came out in like 2001 or something. Holy crap. <laughs> See, you can't trust Bilbo. Fucking right. He says one thing and then... Yells at you and turns into a demon the next moment. Oh, my God. But that realization aside, holy fuck. So it's Dallas, Kane, and then Ripley, right? In terms of uh, in command? Yeah. Yeah, because she says when Dallas and Kane are off the ship, I'm in command. Exactly. So it's interesting that she has two incompetent men above her. And then when they die, it's she's in charge. And she's forced into this leadership position, but it suits her so well. Oh, and, yeah. And like she does not hold back. She's like the perfect combination between Dallas and Kane. Like Dallas is we got to do what the company says. Why the books? Everything. I don't yeah. care as long as like. Whatever the company says we do. And then Kane is like, ooh, an egg. I'm going to touch it. So like to be fair, he slipped into I don't think he would have touched the eggs if he wasn't so close to them by accident. Ooh, an egg. I'm going to touch it. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> oh, I felt I was asleep for a while, guys, but I feel fine. Let's take a snack. Wee. Uh, and then Ripley is like, sure, we're doing a job and stuff like that. But I'm also curious. I'm going to fuck everything up. And. The dynamic of her, I know I said I would rush through my points, but I just love this movie so much. The dynamic of her and Ash butting heads so frequently. This time watching the film, I really focused a lot on Ash because of his big betrayal mm -hmm. uh, to see like what foreshadowing they've given us. And he's the one that lets in the people and yeah. um, in he's general. He's always like, acting really weird too. Yeah, he's shifty. Like, and then he, like he doesn't answer questions. Like when they land on the moon and the hull breaks and they go out on their expedition, he like sits up at the comms center. I can't remember what he does, but he's like all chipper and like cheery where everyone's like serious and dour. And it's like he always feels out of place from the rest of the group. Yeah, for sure. And Ripley calls him out on it. Ripley's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Why do you break quarantine? Why can we not kill? this thing why do you keep like putting us all in date oh because the companies oh you're a robot oh okay oh yeah yeah but before that reveal of him being a robot he did fit the like i'm a man and i can like he he doesn't have the persona of i'm a man and i'm gonna do whatever i want but that still is what was happening so as a viewer i'm like yeah i accept this like I wouldn't anticipate the twist yeah my last point is kind of a story time thing so Alien is one of the films that my dad legally acquired mm -hmm. off of cable TV so that we could have it at our cottage. Back when you couldn't uh, set sail to pick up movies. Yep. Yeah. Um, so one day my older brother, Chris, he was young at the time. He went up to the cottage with my dad to have a boys weekend and convinced my dad that he wasn't going to be scared and was totally ready to watch this movie. And I don't know the specifics about the story because I wasn't there. I'm younger than my brother. But needless to say, my brother was fucking horrified and basically scarred for life from this film. And my mom was so mad at my dad when they got home. <laughs> I feel like my mom has a similar story to this where she saw Alien too soon. Oh. And if it wasn't a late night cast, I would call her up again and see. But uh, I feel like she might be asleep or something. Yeah, that's fair. But that seems like a common occurrence because before this, uh, I feel like Star Wars came before this, correct? Yes. So I only know that because it's in my scaredy facts. So adults had only seen Star Wars as space stuff. And then Alien comes out. It's like, oh, it's going to be like Star Wars. It's going to be all adventure and stuff like that. 
So they probably didn't think that their kids would be that scared of it. And then they watch it and it's horrifying and scary. And That's they're like, fair. this is nothing like the Star War. Where's where's my friend Luke and, and the, the, the evil dastardly villain Vader to fight off of the Xenomorph? But also we saw that trailer. That trailer did not look like Star Wars. I mean, you switch Ripley for Luke and you can't tell the difference. <laughs> I can't see. How am I supposed to defend myself? Oh my God, you butchered it. Just tell you me what it is. You butchered it. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? There we go. Give me your thoughts. We have to speed up. Speaking of Star Wars. <laughs> This isn't one of my facts, but um, in Spaceballs, which you have yet to see, they do the chestburster scene. Oh. But when the chestburster comes out, he does the dance from Looney Tunes, the hello, my darling, hello, my baby, hello, my ragtime gal. (laughs) And it was funny, and I liked it. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. So if you don't want your kid to watch Aliens, have them watch Spaceball. It's like Star Wars and Alien combined. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a spoof of Star Wars. I mean, it's like men in tights. There's just a joke a second, so it's like every genre is covered. Yeah. But I think of Men in Tights and I think Robin Hood. I need to rewatch that too. Men in Tights is baller. Um, okay, give me your thoughts. Uh, so I've said this before when we watched The Shining, but I went to film school, toss, toss. Ooh. And we analyzed film. Wow. <laughs> and watching movies for the podcast specifically, I feel like getting somebody else to analyze them for you and like regurgitate film analysis into your brain kind of affects how you can enjoy movies. Literally the moment that the typography of the alien logo pops up, I turn to you and I'm like, I don't think I can watch this movie normally because my teacher is talking in my head already. already. <laughs> yeah. And like the way that the, the text shows up to reveal aliens slowly how everything is like slowly paced. The emergency mask is the first thing that gets the message from the fact that they have to wake up now. Like there's there's just so much symbolism that it's impossible to watch this movie now without being spoiled for things. But what does it mean? It all means that they're fucked. Ah. Yeah. When it pops up and they, it says that crew aboard seven, it's surely seven are going to make it to the end of the movie, right? <laughs> They've got 200 tons, 200 million tons or something of goods. I'm sure that'll make it to the end of the movie. That's it. That's literally my fact is that watching this movie now, I love it so much, but I can't help but hear like my teacher in the back of my head. But I do want to advise people if you are interested in like, just the most pedantic over analysis of a movie. Um, a go to, uh, I believe it's art of the title, which is a website that analyzes title sequences of movies and also go to typeset in the future because both of them analyze alien, both for the title sequence in the beginning and all the typography and symbolism and like iconography throughout the movie. The, the designer Ron Cobb, who did all of the like icons for like buttons and logos and stuff throughout the movie did like an incredible job just developing like a universal language that exists throughout this ship. Like if you look above doors, you can see basically like app icons above them that tell you what you're going to see when you open up this door. And it was incredible. And that is on typeset of the future. And they do a way better job than I could ever do analyzing this. And it's just like, I don't know why I enjoy reading just just banal information about the not even the alien, just the like setting of this movie (laughs) has cool fonts, which is I believe it's either uh, Helvetica bold or no Helvetica. You do know your fonts. It's either Helvetica black or I think 
Futura. But I need you to tell me, I know that you feel like you're going to regurgitate, but I, ha- I have not analyzed this film in film school. I only did one film course and we did not do this movie. I need to know, just give me a sliver of the opening title. So the whole movie is supposed to like make you feel isolated from everything. Because yes. the idea is that this alien is catching people off guard and they're at like their weakest moment. And the fact that like each individual element of the logo pops up slowly over time is kind of like it sets this like pacing idea of like each of these letters are isolated from each other yes, and, and they are divided where they come. They don't do like the first part of the A. No, the it second does, part of the A. It does middle sides two on the side of the middle and yeah. then finally the another uh, element of the title e is added the, the a comes yeah. up next and <laughs> the typeset of the future uh, analyzes the fact that the when the a gets its peak you can actually see a little bit of an outdent of where the cross uh between the two like tp shapes on the a meets which i don't know it's like a spoiler for the rest of the title is what they say again (laughs) not only am i regurgitating what my teacher said but i'm regurgitating things that i've read later on about analyzing this movie yes but still so those are good references though art of the title and typeset in the future yes it's just i'm gonna go on those now (laughs) for other movies we watch (laughs) again like the shining it's just one of those movies that it's like so fun just to like nitpick a five minute scene and just like tear it apart and analyze every element of it because like it was so because it's not this is going to sound pretentious but it's not cgi so everything had to be made in prep everything had to be built every set was actually there and there was like no cgi other than like composition of scenes over top of each other i don't think that sounds pretentious i mean it's kind of degrading what cgi artists do nowadays because i appreciate oh i see what you mean like i i appreciate what uh cgi is now like it's a it's a job and it's an art as well and like the idea that one is better than the other i think is like a shitty debate because it's just where we are now versus where we were Mm -hmm. and it was things that people do with cgi now is as impressive as what people did with like prep in the beginning and the beginning of movies and movies beginning. of all time. But you had to think about that thing. Like you couldn't just haphazardly draw something on a wall and be like, yeah, that's alien, whatever. That's an alien thing. You had to like prep every individual aspect of this ship so that it made sense. Yeah. Yeah. It I wasn't fucking Doctor Who where you could take a fucking spatula and put gold paint on it and be like, sure, this is a Blorgensplock. <laughs> that's right. Doctor <laughs> Who calling you out. (laughs) We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. Thanks to the brand new patron, Colleen. Say something nice and fun. That's what this says. Well, I know you can't read, so I wanted you to speak from your heart. Thanks so much for becoming a patron. You have no idea how much that means to us. We are slowly becoming legitimate through our Patreon. Whoop, whoop. And eventually we might be able to self-fund this entirely through all of your donations and support. We really appreciate it. We would not be where we are without you. We slog away at this podcast. I put so much hours into it. So the little donations that we get from our patrons are amazing. They really, really, really help us. Thank you so much to all of our patrons right now. I also wanted to take a moment to talk about, we've received some messages about getting fan art done of us. Oh, fuck yeah. And I wanted to say that (laughs) do it. We would love that. Make me very hot. Mainly would love (laughs) it if we could share it online on social media or on our website. 
if you don't want that to be the case, but you still want to do fan art, that is totally fine. When you send it to us, just let us know you don't want us to share it. We will still look at it and be in awe because nobody has ever drawn fan art of us. And what? Um, okay, that's awesome. Especially if I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you by Mad Lab Distilling, who provided us with the handcrafted, ready-to-drink Blue Negroni. They are our number one sponsor. They were with us since the get-go. This year, they've given us so much stuff. They came out with a brand new line of... Two brand new lines. Well, of cocktails ready to drink, but also bitters, which we have not had yet. But I am telling you now, Scott, you have to give us your bitters for season three. I mean, you don't have to, but <laughs> yes, we, would very, do. we would very much greatly appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many, though. You can buy it online if you just go to their website. They have a wide range of flavors. I can't wait to try them. You should, too. And also... They're ready to drink drinks. Where did I put my? Oh, they're awesome. Still, I, yeah, I'm up, I want more now. <laughs> I'm going to drink more of these. Speaking of more, stay home. I don't know how that segues, but it works. Listen to me. We break quarantine. We could all die. Look, could you open the goddamn hatch? We have to get him inside. So we're getting to the point where you're being told that you're allowed to go out and you can go to places and everything's fine and whatnot. But historically, it's been proven that this is the point where the second wave of the pandemic will happen. It's happened in the past. It's going to happen now. So please be safe. Stay inside as much as possible. Social distancing should still be in effect. Wear masks, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. If you can order from places, and especially if you're trying to support local restaurants that you love, please order from them instead of going there. Just do everything that you can to stay away from people because I, there is going to be a second wave and you do not want to be part of that. Please stay safe. We love you. Wash your hands still. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream. Great segue. Facebook at drink <laughs> and scream. You can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. We have a discord bit.ly slash hopped up discord. We just did trivia this week, which was really fun. We might do horror trivia if we have a few more drinking and screaming fans on there. So join the conversation. I also made a website. What? <laughs> drinking and screaming.com. You can check it out. Please tell me how to, you broke it because I need to know it's brand new. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Back to the episode. I like the point when you can see Ash's head turn from the <laughs> the, the little statue of Ash's head to the real head. Whoa. And then he suddenly starts talking and then, and then Ripley smacks it. Anyways, that was my first point. Great. Do you have another point for me? Yes. And this one is... <laughs> <laughs> More about what Kelly like. Ooh. So the thing I like about the alien in particular, the xenomorph, as <gasps> you said, is that you don't really get the feeling that it's like impenetrable, like it's immune, like it's just some god creature that can't be defeated, like later Jasons and stuff like that. Yep. Like literally you see Ash cut the face hugger, which is ostensibly the alien. So you know that it can be damaged. The only problem is everyone's They're in fucking space. Yeah, they're in space and it blood cut the spaceship. It blood will it kill you. It blood it blood will kill you. <laughs> Um, but it's just the fact that like they're all caught off guard. They're not soldiers. They're basically space truckers. It's like if some guy on like the highway got pulled over by an alien and it's like, all right, kill this alien. It's like, I don't, I don't know. It's an alien. And they're just not in a position to kill it, which they cover in aliens with the fact that like 
machine gun can shoot them and they die. Yeah. Because they're on Earth and that's it, their home planet. It was cool to see, like, there was a moment where Ripley is like, so what do we know about it? How can we fight it? And then Ash reluctantly gives, like, baseline information. Like, well, obviously it would be, like... I like how he doesn't even analyze it. He's like, I don't know. Animals hate fire. Fucking shoot yeah. fire at it. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Here, I made a sensor that, that detects that's the most m- minute movement broken. in the air. Yeah. But yeah, I just like the idea that, like, it's not the alien itself that is the horror. It's the situation and the setting that also make it like so terrifying. Like you're just in a bucket in space. Fight this alien. And in space. Nobody hear you scream. (laughs) (laughs) And my final point again about the alien is that I can't yet tell if it's silly. What? (laughs) It So so watching again, it looks a little silly because you you can just kind of tell that it's a dude in a suit like its movements are like like the creep. You know, the the Lonely Island song, the creep where your hands are out and you're like, yeah, I'm a creeper. That just makes me think he's doing a little dance right now. Uh, (laughs) Makes me think of the Sims when you're the vampire and you go. I'm a vampire. But like they do both doing the dance. (laughs) (laughs) They do a good way. Like they do a good job of cutting away from it a lot and like only show you snippets of it. But like when you do see it reaching out at people, it does kind of just looks like a lanky guy in a suit reaching out at you. It kind of looks like Abed. That's fair. Like Abed did a good job recreating the alien suit. I know that they specifically that is true. The community reference of alien Two is so good. (laughs) Um, But they specifically wanted to have I think the alien is only visible for like two minutes runtime total or something. That's a cool fact to it. Yes, Uh, because they didn't want the audience to be like, that's a guy in a suit. Yeah, you don't want to get comfortable. Originally, they wanted, I don't think I included this in my facts, but they wanted to use CGI, but they couldn't. Did they want to like, I thought I read somewhere that they wanted to use like Jim Henson or something. Like they wanted to do either stop motion or like a a puppet. I didn't see that in my research, but they did go through many variations before they arrived on what they did. And it was because of technology limitations and... Which is fair. Yeah. But also then I think about it and I'm like, maybe it is more creepy that it looks like a human because the idea is that the face hugger impregnates a human and then the thing inside of it like develops based on the genetics of the thing. That's exactly. It's which in. is explored in later alien yeah, films. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, maybe it's more scary that it's this alien that takes on the properties of a human is like stalking you and has a, sti- a stabby tail and a face that goes, <laughs> my yeah. face come out, my little face come and poke you in the chest. <laughs> Um, and like, I don't have a conclusion to this. I'm just, I can't decide because my analytical brain is like, yeah, it's kind of creepy that it's just a fucking dude with a spike tail. I think around. it's very scary. And then on the other side, it looks a little silly when his hands are up and he's like, nah, I'm an alien. But <laughs> you never really see the body. You mostly just see the head. When Ripley like splashes him with uh, mist in the escape pod and he kind of like rolls out. Like it looks like a dude just fell out of bed and he's like, oh no. <laughs> I was coming out. I was going to go into hibernation. Uh, what? You know what was actually going to happen? That he was going to face hug her while she was sleeping? He was going to die. Oh, he was about to die? Yeah. So it's, I don't think I included this either, but so it's going to be less detailed than it could have been. Fuck. But uh, so when the alien starts out, face hugger, it's like pale skin tone, like beige. Yeah. Big flappy vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Then when it emerges from Kane's chest, it's still very beige. But it's got metal. 
metal teeth. small. With metal teeth, yes. Yeah, it looks like Jaws from Goldeneye. Then as it progresses, it sheds its skin a bunch of times. It gets darker and darker up until the final moment when it's basically completely black. And it turns out that in this film, I feel like in later films, they change this. But their idea of the character creature creation was that it ages so quickly that it was basically once the alarms are going off, it's realized it's so smart. It realizes, oh, the ship's going to blow up. So it's gone to a quiet place to die. Nice. Like Uh, like wolves do. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, fuck, I'm being killed by Ripley. Better kill her instead. (laughs) That's interesting then. So their whole point is... As it gets darker, it's because it ages so quickly and it's going to die. But that's weird then because that's a male. So so is the point that the, the queen lays all the eggs... The facehuckers make a bunch of males. The males go out and hunt like they I don't, I don't know. I know at this point they probably weren't thinking about the queen. They were just like some eggs and pops out and makes a facehugger. But like, what is the psych? What is the life cycle of that? Where like the what appears to just be the only version of this thing dies within like an hour. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I would like to know what their original thought was before all the other ones. And yeah, because it, I feel like this idea was definitely changed. So it is very interesting. I can't wait to watch Aliens, which yeah. I know you hate, but I'm. Hey, I, that's I a spoiler it. from my final thoughts. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let's jump into Ba-da-da! Alien Facts. <laughs> Whoa, changing our branding. Um, it's a late night cast. No- <laughs> nothing's a <the> rule. <laughs> I definitely did pour myself another glass. <laughs> so. For those of you who are just tuning in for the first time in this episode, when we do our scaredy facts, they're based on our real life. When Kelly and I first started dating, horror movies were a big part of our relationship. They still are to this day. And once we're done watching a movie, I'm the one that mostly gets scared. And we like to curl up and die. Unless it's about ghosts, then it's Kelly that's the bitch baby. Listen. (laughs) But... Uh, We get into our jammies, we go under the covers, and we uh, read trivia facts to help us calm down from the heights and valleys of the horror movie we just witnessed. So here are some of the trivia facts that I found most compelling because I did the research for this one. Starting off with the budget. Whoa, late night whacking with our formula again. I don't just have numbers for you. I'm going to throw in a scaredy fact right away. No. 20th Century Fox doubled... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have to laugh at Kelly's joke. Okay, 20th Century Fox doubled the budget from 4.2 million to 8.4 million on the strength of seeing Ridley Scott's storyboards alone. The final budget, though, was estimated to be at 11 million dollars. Little, little over budget. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Opening weekend in the states, uh, the 28th of May, 1979. They only made $3.5 million. Fuck's wrong with you, states? I don't know. Get your shit together. But don't you worry, because the cumulative worldwide gross is $108.3 million. That's interesting. That it's seems, lower than you thought? Yeah, that seems low, knowing that The Conjuring made $2 billion. Yeah, that's the whole series. Still, you would think that, I don't know. I don't have stats on the whole series of Alien. I have a factoid that Alien is the only movie I've ever bought on YouTube movies, so they have at least $15 from me. <laughs> Actually, now that you say that, that reminds me that my dad did not. We do have a lot of cable TV, very legally acquired VHSs. Yeah. 
But the entire Alien 1, 2, and 3, I think we actually have, we bought the VHS. So my story, I lied. They were bought. <laughs> and fact-checking your own podcast at the end. <laughs> Sorry. It just, I saw a vision, you know, in my brain. Yeah, Late you, night. I don't know my facts. I don't you, know anything. You saw one of those VHSs with the like white piece of paper on it. And your dad just wrote Alien and drew a little, a little egg on it. <laughs> You're like, sure, that's the only one we have. Yeah. All right. I have to get this one out of the way. It's very well known, but just in case for any of our listeners that don't know, Kelly, you know this already. I mean, I'm excited to see if you found any facts that I don't know about this I movie. I think I might have. We'll see. We'll see. So for the chestburster sequence, Sir John Hurt stuck his head, shoulders and arms through a hole in the mess table, linking up with a mechanical torso that was packed with compressed air, which helped create the forceful exit of the alien. And there were like a bunch of animal guts in that torso, too, so that it could like burst out. The rest of the cast were not told that real blood and guts were being used. So that would make a genuine reaction of shock and disgust. (laughs) Apparently, this worked so well that Yafet Kodo, who was the engineer, I forget the character's name, went home in complete shock afterwards, locking himself in a room and refusing to talk to his wife for several hours. The chest bursting scene was filmed in one take with four cameras. Basically, none of the actors really knew what was going to happen. The famous, like, well-known fact is that the script just said the creature emerges. Yeah. On, like, the one hand, I'm like, that's dope. That's a good way to get your your actors to act good. On the other hand, I'm like, actors can act. Actors act all right. Like, they're doing their job. Maybe don't traumatize them and give them potential PTSD of filming on your movie. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't have too much film experience. Most of my theater stage experience, it's very different from film because there's so much of a long rehearsal process. Yeah. And in that rehearsal process, directors will sometimes do things with other actors to surprise you. Yeah. Because that will, you'll, it'll change your thought of the scene Mm -hmm. and you'll have that genuine reaction that you'll be like, oh, I can emulate that. My surprise. Like if you're supposed to come over to me and whisper something lovingly in my ear, but you whisper, I fucked your mom or something. I would be surprised (laughs) (laughs) because it's not what I'm anticipating. And the whole point of acting is to not anticipate because you don't actually know what is playing out before you. Listen, firstly, I would whisper omelette de fromage, (laughs) obviously. Um, but yeah, that, that brings the question because this isn't the first time that we've had a horror movie where they surprise the actors and I think I would like it. I wonder if there's, what's that word after you have particularly rough sex where you have like a cool down session, like a postmortem or a, a, you know, recovery session. I don't know. Communicating. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A safe word. No, there's there's like a specific word for it. But I wonder if movie sets now, because I feel like back then they probably didn't have it. If movie sets now have like a specific person or specific protocol for like, this actor could potentially be triggered in this scene. Let's make sure we have someone on set that can like help them through coming down from like really extremely aggressive scenes that are about to happen. It's funny that you mentioned that because very, very recently, it's not directly what you're referencing, but there's this new position in theater and film called an intimacy coordinator. Oh yeah. I totally remember that you mentioned before. It's It's a huge thing. I'm so glad that they have this, especially as a survivor of assault, because you never know what can happen on stage and or whatever, like doing anything and films 
have never had this before, which is kind of mind blowing that directors would just be like, so you guys are going to like simulate sex or just whatever have some sex. and just do it. And like the industry standard is obviously everyone's very professional, but you never know what's happening. And like everyone is their own person. So now that there's an actual intimacy coordinator that is supposed to be there for every sex scene, every even just kissing is there's so much to unpack. You want your actors to be safe and we specifically heard a shitty situation of this when we watched the Friday the 13th documentary because ah. it was like the bad one where it's fake Jason and it was literally the director was just a shitty asshole and during a sex scene he was screaming at the man to be like fuck her harder fuck her harder come yeah. on yeah. which is like I cannot like, I cannot I, I mean the positive thing from that documentary is that everyone hated that director so that's good we'll talk about that on the Friday the 13th that that's referencing but, uh, <laughs> but yeah that's interesting like that's really good I love that they are doing that. I'm sad that they weren't doing that, but Before. I'm glad that they're doing it now. Yeah. You're going to have to have your, your genitals out and pretend you're fucking each other. We're going to have a person on set to make sure that it's all good. Yeah. That actually we'll discuss with like each actor separately and then like combine them together. It's so great. I'm glad. Okay. I have to power through these. Because I really want to talk about all of them, but there's just too much and I need to keep the episode at a good length. I'm prepared to be surprised. Whoa. During early development, Dan O'Brien and Ronald Shusette ran into a writing impasse while trying to work out how the alien would get aboard the ship. Shusette eventually came up with the idea, the alien fucks one of them. And I say that. Sick. A bit with love, but a bit with disdain, (laughs) which was eventually developed into the face hugger concept. This method of reproduction via implantation was deliberately intended to invoke images of male rape and impregnation. So both the writers were adamant that the facehugger victim be a man. Firstly, because they wanted to avoid the horror cliche of women being depicted as the easy first target, which is awesome. Secondly, because they felt that making a female the casualty of a symbolic rape felt inappropriate. And thirdly, to make the male viewers feel more uncomfortable with this reversal of genre conventions. Nice. That's more woke than I would have estimated from the 70s, but... Just wait, because I have so much wokeness. All right, just keep going then. I'm Blast surprised. through it. I don't Blast think, through it. I feel like I didn't put it next, but you know, it'll come up. <laughs> next one, to get Jonesy the cat to react fearfully to the descending alien, a German shepherd was placed in front of him with a screen between the two, so the cat wouldn't see it at first then the screen was suddenly removed which made jonesy stop advancing and start hissing and like uh reclining backwards i knew that one too yeah it's fine (laughs) don't worry i'm gonna surprise you one day (laughs) you're gonna know the next one too the dead face hugger that ash autopsies was made using fresh shellfish four oysters and a sheep kidney, wow, it's a lot of shush sounds, to recreate the internal organs. The facehugger was planned to be painted green, but Dan O'Bannon, seeing the unpainted facehugger on set and noting how inventive its human flesh tone color was, argued for it to remain as is. But question, does she sell seashells on the seashore? You want to try that one more time? No, I'm going to put that in. That's the version (laughs) I go with. Uh, You mentioned Doctor Who earlier. This is not Doctor Who, but The Who. The blue laser lights that were used in the alien ship's egg chambers were borrowed from the Who, the band. They were testing out the lasers for their stage show in the soundstage next door. And the crew was like, hey, can we use that? They were like, yeah, sure. You didn't know that, did you? No, I did. I was trying to think of a Who. I was trying to think of a Who song, but I can't think of Fuck. I still, I have a lot. You're going to be surprised. Who are you? Who, who? 
Who, who? Okay, I sort. Oh, I did include this. Director Ridley Scott originally wanted to use animatronics or like puppets to portray the alien, thereby hoping to avoid the sight of a monster obviously being played by a man in a suit. Unfortunately, oh, okay. So I earlier on I was saying CGI, but they wanted to use animatronics, but they couldn't do it. So the special effects techniques at the time weren't sophisticated enough for what he had in mind. But he agreed to an actor playing the part after being introduced to Bolaji Badejo. How would you say that name? Badego? Bolaji Badego? Yeah, I think it's Bolaji Badego, but I think it's been a while since I've heard his name said. It's been a while. We're gonna keep that in. Uh, <laughs> Badego. What did you say? Bodego. Okay. Bellagio Bodego. It's weird that it's a J, but sure. Was a graphic artist. Sounds good. I don't It's a dope ass name. (laughs) What are you talking about? Who was discovered at a pub by one of the casting directors. He was seven feet, one inch tall with very thin arms, which was just what they needed to make the alien look less human and more insect like. He was sent for Tai Chi and mime classes to learn how to slow down his movements. A special swing had to be constructed for him to sit down during filming as he could not sit down on a regular chair once he was all costumed up in a suit since the alien's tail was so big and long. I think in our Crimson Peak episode, I actually mistook this actor for the one that plays all the creatures in Crimson Peak. Yes, because, because he has never uh, done anything else. Yeah, and but they kind of both play the same role of yes. like lanky, creepy person. Which is bad. I feel like he could make a, a killing now with all of the lanky, creepy ghosts that people are doing now. Yeah, But I think he might be dead. Yes, he definitely did die the year I was two, no, one, from Aww. sickle cell anemia, which so I don't sad. know what that is, but he was like 39. Very young age to die. Yes, which sucks because nobody that talented that can play the alien should die <laughs> ever. Yes, live forever, which you will in our hearts. Next, Ridley Scott did all of the handheld camera work himself. He cites three movies as a shaping influence on his work on Alien, which was one of them, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, which is why I knew that it yeah. came earlier. Um, a Space Odyssey, and that was for their depiction of outer space. And then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for its treatment on horror. I feel like the Texas Chainsaw thing I didn't know, but I knew that Star Wars and Space Odyssey were his inspirations. All right. Well, also Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> which does make sense because we watched that. You watched that recently. Did I it, did not know. Did it feel like alien to you? <laughs> no. I mean, it was very rapey, which I was surprised that I didn't know that that was in there. There is that scene at the end of Alien where the xenomorph has a chainsaw and he's going. <laughs> <laughs> we have to parse on. The script had a clause indicating that all the characters are unisex. Oh, here it is. The forward thinking of the writing team was awesome. So all the characters could be cast by men or women. It didn't matter. They weren't like, oh, Ripley's got to be a chick. Man, I didn't know Shonda Rhimes worked on Alien. Yeah, exactly. So all the characters were only referred to by their last name. Dallas, Kane, Ripley, Ash, Lambert, Parker, Brett. And the few gender specific pronouns that were used were just corrected after they finished casting. But Ridley never really thought about casting Ripley as a female character. So it was interesting, though, when he was actually casting the role, when it came down to it, he invited several women from the production office to watch screen tests. And then he gained a female perspective. And the women were unanimously impressed with the then unknown Sigourney Weaver, whose screen presence they compared to Jane Fonda's. Ridley Scott has stated that in casting the role of Ripley, it ultimately came down to Sigourney Weaver and Meryl Streep. The two actresses had been college mates at Yale, 
But ultimately, Weaver was offered the job because Streep was, well, because she's awesome. But also, Streep was mourning the death of her partner, John Cazale, at the time of casting. I feel like I've never seen Meryl Streep in an action role now that I think about it. Yeah, but when you think of, like, the power that Meryl Streep has and the power that Sigourney Weaver has, they're very similar. Yeah, Sigourney Reaver, I feel like, has more of a physicality that Meryl Streep maybe doesn't bring to a role. Meryl Streep definitely has a presence that, like, incites command, but Sigourney Weaver, like, brings, like, a physicality to a role that you feel, you're like, oh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver's here. Hey, <laughs> we, sure, her presence has been made known by all the things that she's doing this scene, whereas, like, Meryl Streep can walk into a scene and you're like, hey, it's Meryl Streep. She's shown up. Fuck. <laughs> That's interesting. I kind of feel like the that's Meryl Streep. She's shown up. Fuck goes with how I feel about Sigourney Weaver and Meryl Streep. Interesting. I feel like they're very hand in hand. So I agree with this fact. I feel like every time that I've seen Sigourney Weaver own a scene, it's through her motions and actions. And every time that I've seen uh, Meryl Streep own a scene, it's through her like reservedness. Yeah, like her vocab and her her presence. That's fair. I mean, especially in The Devil Wears Prada, which we have to do for like the next April Fool's because there's no way I'm doing another scary movie movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we have to press on. There were four cats that were played. There were four different cats that played Jonesy. The first day that Sigourney Weaver shot a scene involving Jonesy the cat, her skin started to react badly. So she was like, oh, fuck. I am going to I'm allergic to cats, apparently, and I'm just going to be replaced because it's easier to replace an unknown actress than it is to replace four identical cats. (laughs) Fuck me. I'm just going to keep going and just have this reaction on my arms. But it turns out that she was actually reacting to the glycerin that was sprayed on her skin to make her look hot and sweaty. So they had to like deal with that for throughout the entire film and change that for her. They do look hot and sweaty a lot. Yeah. But yeah, I can totally identify with, oh, fuck. (laughs) They're going to just replace me because they can't replace the cats. I mean, it would be easy to film the scenes without the cats or like it would be easy to film you and the cats independently and then like put them together. No, she holds that cat so much. Also, for some reason, the sweat reminded me. I can't believe we went so long without talking about alien isolation because the immediate end of this movie leads into the narrative of alien isolation. And it's also a strong female character because it's fucking Ripley's daughter. Yes. And she's also extremely sweaty in that game. (laughs) I actually, I'm going to start putting all of our episodes onto YouTube because a lot of people find podcasts through YouTube. And I was thinking, I know that we have Super Hopped Up, which is where we play all our video games and it would be great to have. I could play Alien Isolation for Super Hopped Up or I could play it for Drinking and Screaming. I could see Drinking and Screaming uh, Let's Play channel directly competing with Super Hopped Up. It's fine. (laughs) That'd be interesting. Either way, it'll be on YouTube eventually. We played a bit of it for Month of Spoops one year or for what was it? Was it Child's Play that we did it? I don't think we've ever played it. Yes, we did. We definitely played the DLC that was Alien. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We played the DLC that you play as uh, as Ripley. And Ellen Ripley, not whatever her name yeah, is, the Ripley daughter. But that daughter. was in... That was for the month of... Or the Child's Play yes, charity. Yes, which we do every year. We're definitely going to do it again this year. But I don't need to advertise that yet. Don't worry. Um, final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, yes. So, man, I love Alien. I'm so glad that we did this, and it's such a great movie. We can never do Aliens for the podcast. We are doing it. We can't, because I don't think I can put up 
with the backlash of my opinions and the episode of Aliens would probably just turn into like 52 minutes of me shouting. No, because my final thought is the most badass heroine in film history is Ripley. And this film holds a special place in my heart. And there's nothing better. I mean, I mean, this movie is better. But the second movie where she has all this knowledge and all the basically all the men of the world are like, no, you don't know shit. And then they eat shit when she's like, ha, the aliens killing you. I love aliens and we're going to do it. They're coming out of the wall, man. They're coming out of the goddamn wall. I hate that movie. They ruin her character in that movie. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's been Alien. Why are you doing this part? Because I want to shut you up. A movie about never breaking quarantine, even if a scientist tells you to. (laughs) Next week, we'll be watching Get Out from 2017. Get Out? No way. Yeah. Get Out. And remember, always scream responsibly. Oh, God.